Hello, welcome to Recapping with Delora and Ashley. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Recapping Podcast. Also, comment, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all the things. We would love to hear your ratings of the movies and shows we review. Email us your audio file to recappingpodcast at gmail.com and we will play it during the show. Or DM us on Instagram and we will post and read it on air. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. Hey, Ashley. Hey, girl. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm moving and grooving. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a long day, so... I am good, but I'm super, super excited to be recapping our final 2022 Black History Month submission, the music documentary, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. This film, available on Hulu, is rated PG-13. It is an hour and 57 minutes long. Here's a quick summary. In his acclaimed debut as a filmmaker, Amar Westlove Thompson presents a powerful and transporting documentary part music film, part historical record created around an epic event that celebrated Black history, culture, and fashion. Over the course of six weeks in the summer of 1969, just 100 miles west of Woodstock, the Harlem Cultural Festival was filmed in Mount Morris Park, now Marcus Garvey Park. The footage was never seen and largely forgotten until now. Summer of Soul shines a light on the importance of history to our spiritual well-being and stands as a testament to the healing power of music during times of unrest, both past and present. The feature includes never-before-seen concert performances by Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Ray Barreto, Abby Lincoln, and Max Roach, and more. This film was released July 2nd, 2021. And the box office was around $2.3 million. Rotten Tomatoes critics rated this film 99%. Mm-hmm. And the audience score is 98%. However, Google users gave this film 78%. Ashley, what's your grade for Summer of Soul? Well, you know, given that this was a previous hidden gem for me, I guess I'm a little biased. But also because of the fact that this is Black history, Black culture, Black music, Black soul, it gets an A plus. Hell yeah. 
this footage from the Harlem Cultural Festival sat in the basement for 50 years. That blows my mind. Same year as Woodstock, yet I had never heard of it. I appreciated the first person accounts that are dispersed throughout the musical performances. I appreciate Tony Lawrence's many wardrobe changes. I appreciate the beauty of this Black audience that was there to capture this moment. I appreciate the emotion and energy of those, even to this day, who are talking about it. I appreciate the fact that Questlove brought this history to my attention, to our attention, because it deserved to be told. So for that, it's an A plus for me. What about you, Delora? A freaking plus. Ashley, it was immersive. It was an immersive experience. Like I felt the heat, you know. I smelt the fried chicken. (laughs) (laughs) The performances were phenomenal like and then to your point not only firsthand accounts but just even the artists today who were there speaking about their experiences and the impact uh this festival had on the community through the years it was just so good so good so with that being said we're gonna talk a lot more after this spoiler alert The Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969, as you mentioned, was the same year of Woodstock. It took place in the heart of Harlem at Mount Morris Park, attended attended by 300,000 Black folks. And this event was free. It happened over six weekends. One of the things that I think is worth noting is that this festival did happen um, in other years. The first year was in 1967, but this was the first year that they recorded it. And honestly, I don't know the performers of the previous years, but 1967 was that bitch. Okay, (laughs) When it comes to the lineup. What are your emotions of knowing that this type of epic footage that never before seen performances with Stevie Wonder, Nina Simone, B.B. King was sitting in a basement for 50 years? I mean, it's unbelievable. They spoke to the fact that, I mean, it's the erasure of Black history. The fact that something of this level with these artists of this magnitude would have gone just un- that people would just have been uninterested in airing it. I mean, it's it's upsetting. It's sad. But I'm again, that that's what makes it so much more impactful to me now. You know what I mean? Is the fact that now you have the people who are looking back on it 50 mm. years later and speaking to it. So I think it would have still had an enormous impact at the time. But I'm glad that if it didn't get a chance to see the light of day that we had the people now who were passionate enough about this project to bring it to us. What about you? It's devastating to know that with the lineup of the iconic, well-beloved artists, not only in the black community, but in music sitting in someone's basement for 50 years. And just to know that the, hard work, sweat and tears that the organizers had to make it all happen and to not 
be able to, you know, celebrate their achievement or not to see it be being celebrated, you know, because it was just not valued all this time. I think it's interesting because as I mentioned, this is Questlove's very first documentary. And I've seen several interviews of him talking about how he almost had a level of resentment for being the one to bring this to the public's consciousness Mm. because of, he just like, why is it all on my shoulders? So to speak. And one of the things that he talked about, and I'm also referencing um, a Rolling Stone article, trying to make the film appealing to younger audiences, right? So the, the journalist asked him, how concerned were you about whether Soul, Summer of Soul would appeal to a younger audience? And he talked about, he definitely knew he had the boomers, right? <laughs> and then he said, I felt good about millennials, especially the ones about to turn 40. But when it came to the Gen Zers, he said, I was grasping at straws. He was like, I was this close of asking Drake to see if he can talk about his uncle being the bass player for Sly Stone. And I was <laughs> like, what about that connection, right? But he talked about how, full circle talking about the level of resentment at first, but understanding that it took March of 2020 as going into the pandemic and then dealing with George Floyd to in some ways change the narrative or the narrative being a little bit more acceptable, you know, us trying to constantly unearth our history Mm -hmm. and, you know, find value and pride in what our ancestors have done, right? But you know what you just made me think about that made me sad again, though, is the Black folks who are of an older generation who will never get a chance to see this, who mm. may have been alive during the Harlem Cultural Festival, knew it happened, yeah. but never got to see the footage to mm. enjoy the event itself. Thinking of like my grandparents, people like that. Yeah. That make me sad. When you're talking about appealing to generations, that is a loss. Wow. He eventually said that all the stuff that was going on in 2020, honestly, put the themes that he put in this film even more relevant, dealing with the state of Black Black America in relation to the entire United States. And we'll go into that. So some of the things that he not only highlighted in this film obviously the phenomenal performances but he highlighted the heightened consciousness of black people during that time so we're we're talking about 1969 so this is on the cusp of a new decade right we had already been through the 60s where the assassinations that went mm-hmm. on in that decade, Ashley, is something that I don't ever want to experience. Yeah. It blow. We've talked about this in the past. It blows your mind on what was dealt with in that decade. You had Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King, Kennedy, Kennedy, like <sighs> Ashley. Are you surprised that some of the most iconic music came out of this decade? Absolutely not. I mean, to your point, there was a lot that the nation was going through, but particularly the impact on the Black community was unfathomable. 
because of the civil rights movement, because of the leaders who were taken out at that time. And they even spoke about it a bit when they highlighted those four major assassinations of the fact that, you know, black people needed something to be joyous about because we, again, to your point about George Floyd, we've gone through quite a bit these last few years in terms of seeing black people being killed senselessly and all of that. But imagine on video, imagine that era where you're talking about the leaders of this period of time that we're trying to make change and trying to better our lives. And they were all being taken out publicly without really any explanation or understanding that beyond racism could really explain it. Right. And Mm. it's, it's a tough pill to swallow, even just thinking about it, because I always think about the only thing that separates me from my ancestors literally is time. And so you know, yes, we're seeing some mirroring, but I, I always want to still think about the fact that they people have lived through quite a bit and been able to make it. So I'm not surprised that the music of the era was so powerful because I think musicians at that time felt like, as Nina Simone said, as an artist, you have to reflect the times that you're living in. And those were some hard ass times. Whew. Well said, well said. So, Tony Lawrence, the host and creator of this cultural festival, he was a man of his community. He knew that the Black community was going through changing times, and he wanted to capture that with this festival. To your point, he was killing the game with his outfit changes. (laughs) Yes. It actually brought me great joy to see how he switched it up. I was like, oh, is that off the shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> Almost for a second before I realized that it was over a series of weeks. I was like, did he yeah. pioneer the outfit change? <laughs> you know, like the award show outfit change? Because he had some fabulous blouses and some fabulous suits. Fabulous. Okay. And again, he's the man of his community. He was a big thinker and he put it all into motion. And one of the things that I really appreciated, they were extremely resourceful because they talked about how the police weren't necessarily a guarantee for security, Ashley. They had the freaking Black Panthers Mm -hmm. on as security detail for this epic, epic event. What did you think about that? Makes sense. <laughs> yes, exactly. We right. Might have been to an event where the nation had to be security for us. So make sense. <laughs> I love it. I love it. The film starts off with freaking Stevie Wonder, a young Stevie Wonder opening. Ashley, if his voice wasn't crystal clear, like the talent in that man's body. And at that point, and we and they talk about it later on in the film, he was at a crossroads in his career, right? He had had all the success with Motown, but this is before the legendary back-to-back-to-back albums, you know, <laughs> just bangers. <laughs> I mean, he really had to fight for this shift, too. I think I mentioned as a hidden gem before a great Motown documentary that's available on Amazon, but he spoke to the fact that he had to come up against Barry Gordy because obviously once you have success, people want you to continue down that trajectory Mm -hmm. of success. And he's like, listen, I have things to say. 
I am grown now. So remember, Steve Wonder was a prodigy kid. He was a kid. Exactly. So he was like, listen, I'm a grown man. And I have some things I have to get off my chest. Again, reflecting the times you live through these things, you see your people. And I don't mean to say see as if literally see, but you're understanding the impact and what is going on amongst your people. It, it would be it would be hard to imagine them not feeling even if they didn't all put it in their music. I mean, you can't get away from it. You know what I mean? Given that era. Absolutely. And he opened again, the fact that he opened this freaking festival, he's saying, it's your thing, do what you want to do. And he was on those freaking drums. I thought it was interesting because while I was um, preparing for the podcast, I was looking up all of Questlove's interviews and in one of them, the journalist asked him, was that intentional that you opened up the documentary with Stevie Wonder on the drums, considering Questlove is the drummer? OK, so you got you got Stevie Wonder, you got uh, Travis Barker, you have Questlove like as iconic drummers, you know, but I, I thought that was a fun, a fun question to ask. So let's talk about the performers that were highlighted in the documentary. We have the Chamber Brothers, we have B.B. King, we have the Fifth Dimension, Pop Stable and the Stable Sisters, Mahalia Jackson, Jesse Jackson, Gladys Knight and the Pips. I mean, so many iconic people. Did you have a favorite performance throughout this documentary? Ooh, my favorite performance was probably Nina Simone, just because yeah, I have such a love in my heart for Nina Simone when they sang Young, Gifted, and Black. It just gives me chills. And, you know, my tattoo is inspired by Nina Simone. So it just, it just hits different for me personally. And then I think I mentioned this in a previous conversation that I didn't realize that Oh Happy Day came from the Edwin Hawkins singers. So it was such a pleasant surprise. The first time I watched it, no, I did not know who that rendition came from. So when I first heard it, I was like, Oh my God, it clicked. (laughs) I just, I felt like I was getting something, you know, some level of history that, you know, just touched my spirit. So yeah, I would say those two meant a lot to me, but overall, I mean, I can't name a performance that I didn't, enjoy during the documentary what about you so I think watching this documentary had me come to the realization that there were so many iconic (laughs) songs in the 60s because when you're talking about the fifth dimension and them singing Aquarius and let the sunshine in and then you have freaking Sly and the family stones stone people singing everyday people i'm just like oh my gosh there's so many hits there's so many bangers i even love what they said about his fashion and how he influenced fashion of the era because so many of them were like suit and tie yes slide coming up there wearing his you know different outfit that was different for the time period. I love that influence on fashion. Yes. I'm glad that you said that because to your point, there was such an important uh, presence of Motown at the time. So you had obviously Stevie Wonder. You had freaking David Ruffin. I have in my notes, I'm like, not David Ruffin performing by himself <laughs> after newly leaving The Temptations. Because it's David Ruffin and The Temptations. Okay. <laughs> 
but he was out here hitting these high notes like this is why I'm so low (laughs) okay this is why I'm so low (laughs) but because the Motown had such a pivotal presence in popular music specifically black people singing popular music you have the matching suits you have the choreography okay and Sly and the Family Stone were completely opposite of all of that and he had women in his band and white people (laughs) yeah one of the musicians is like I think me and such and such were only two white people there Ashley, in some of the what they call B-roll of the festival, there were so many people in the audience. Okay, could you have done it? No, some of those some of those crowd surges were making me nervous. Yes, yes, exactly. Could I have done it though? Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. If I was alive during that era and I lived in Harlem, hell yeah, I would I would have been there. You know what I mean? Because you just yeah. you don't get moments like that. You know, it's those are some once in a lifetime types types of things. But watching it, I got nervous, especially because we now too. had issues with crowd control. Very know, true. Astral world, just like it. Exactly. I put in my notes: the guy in the tree had the best seat in the whole performance. He had the breeze. He had to stand <laughs> next to body. <laughs> got called out like it was a moment okay in terms of the performances again I have to say I had never seen Mahalia Jackson footage before I've only heard her voice and so to see her yeah I'm not sure I in have either. color on my tv screen singing her heart out from the I, depths of her damn soul her and Mavis were killing that microphone Uh it was a a moment um the other thing that i did not know before this documentary was dr king's last conversation so we had a moment where jesse jackson was talking and ben branch who was a saxophonist was performing and they talked about the exchange were you familiar with that conversation I was not familiar with that story. Jesse Jackson popping up was the most powerful moment of the documentary. Like his footage when he was on stage and the things that he said. Yes. The most powerful moments in the whole documentary to me. Again, I know it's music based, mm. but it just it really it, it was it was it was a moment for me. I appreciate that you talked about how powerful he was, because for me, in my notes, I put Jesse Jackson was a problem because he was good looking. Okay. <laughs> you know what it made me think too? I'm so glad he survived. Like think about yes. that era and you rolling around and could be potentially assassinated at any point in time. Like, and he was there. Like he was, he was right there. He was yes. right, right there. He was like, Martin stood up and pow, like at any single moment in time, any of y'all could have been taken out. Many of our, you know, leaders and folks who were involved were killed so I was just thinking as I was watching I was like Jesse I'm glad you survived like goodness that's an excellent point Ashley so I really did enjoy the fact that Maxwell House came through and sponsored does that make you want to drink Maxwell House coffee now you've been like they've been down for the calls for a long time for a long time for a long time they're the ones that sponsored it enough for it to even be televised or have cameras shoot the uh, the event 
The other piece of the documentary that I really did enjoy was Questlove highlighting everything that was going on around them. So we have the Vietnam War. We have the moon landing that happened July 20th. The moon landing situation (laughs) got me. Because the reactions of Black folks to that is the same reaction of Black folks to space travel now. Today? Right now? To this day? Like when Red Fox is like, they can go on up to space. I'm going to stay right here in Harlem with the Blacks and the Puerto Ricans and have some fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hilarious. But Hilarious. yeah, just so many people were like, there's there's real world problems. We have problems right here. We have we have poverty. We have racism. We have the heroin ep- epidemic. I'm not worried about space. It's like that money could be put into the community, but you're going on space. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Again, we live in a completely different world sometimes, right? In terms of like all the white people feature it was like, this is a monumental moment for man. Black folks was like, we're trying to figure out what we're eating tomorrow. Exactly. For dinner. We're trying to survive. And you guys are worried about trying to beat Russia to get onto the moon. Okay. So speaking of Red Fox, did you have a favorite cameo? I mean, Red Fox really did crack me up. Like I cracked up. Same. But I mean, there were so many good cameos. I mean, again, I loved even just the general attendees who were there. The one guy struck me who got emotional at the end. Like he Mm. really touched me um, seeing him break down like that. But I mean, like Lin-Manuel Miranda, I didn't expect for your boy Lin to be popping up in this. Exactly. Exactly. My favorite would be Sheila E. Um, I really loved how she elaborated on Ray Barreto and um, Mongo percussionist. Like I was really eating up everything she had to say about the different techniques that they applied and what influence their percussion and how she even learned under Ray. I, I just love that. I was like, oh, that's a piece of uh, information that I had no had no idea, you know, love Sheila E because she is a bad bitch, right? Like she, yeah. <laughs> she's one of the greats. Another one of- I enjoyed was Sal Masakela because yeah. we talked about the fact that like, I didn't know, I, like when Sal was popular as a host of, I didn't know who his father was. So that was kind of a big deal. Kind of, little bit. Kind of. <laughs> so I appreciated the background on Sal's daddy. Yeah, that's so true. And, and you see, he was going by his full name, right? We no longer just Sal's like Sal- Sal- Salema or Salima. I don't want to mispronounce your name, sir. But I'm like, you like, listen, I'm black, black now. <laughs> well, you know, he grew up privileged, right? And he's the black dude that snowboards, you know what I mean? And <laughs> I'm sure he probably had to make himself small for many years. And well, I, it's about being palatable to yes. the white public, especially when you have certain jobs. Yes. And being in media and entertainment. Excellent point. But yeah, Lynn was also a favorite and I really did enjoy Chris Rock. <laughs> Chris Rock is always a joy. Along with all the things that were going on, the desegregation of the early 1960s uh, we got a chance to get some insight from Charlene hunter gout she talked about how 
she desegregated the University of Georgia in 1961, and she later went on to be a journalist at the New York Times. And what I loved about her insight was the whole conversation of this was a monumental time within the Black community in us redefining ourselves from being Negro to being Black. Mm-hmm. And even to this day, we're still reinventing ourselves, having the conversation around being Black versus African American. Which do you prefer to be called? I'm Black. I'm Black, beautiful, and I'm proud as a Jesse Jackson, as the audience say. I'm Black, I'm beautiful, and I'm proud. I really love how they highlighted the transition that our community was going through. Everything from our hair, um, embracing the Afro, to the clothes being completely buttoned up in you know suit and ties to wearing freaking vests with no shirts on you know what I mean like bell bottoms dashikis galore like I just it was such a pivotal time and I I just always find it interesting because again to what I was saying previously with quest love was stating like there's so many running themes that are still very much prevalent with us today. It's it's funny that we went through the 70s, went rocking our froze, but by the 80s and on to the 90s and early 2000s, we straight hair, right? Yeah. And then now we're all rocking natural hairstyles. I'm completely tapered. <laughs> natural coils, you got your uh, twisting, you know what I mean? Like, I just, it's always fascinating to see our community as we find ourselves and, and frankly deal with the reaction to it. But there was such a boldness of that time. Is there anything that stuck out to you in the conversation of our identity as a people at that time? I'm just so thankful for the folks who really put themselves out there and were the pioneers during Mm. these periods of time. Like you spoke of the woman who said, uh, you know, was a part of desegregation and also went on to New York Times. She had to push for that change from Negro to Black, right? She had to put her mm-hmm. neck on the line. She could have potentially lost her job Easily. to fight for the voice of the people because she said, I was just listening to what the people were saying. And we were saying we want to now be called Black. And the white mm-hmm. editor at the time changed it back to Negro. So I had to write to my boss to say no this is why 11 page (laughs) yeah this is why we want to be called black and the new york times went with black ever since right and the fact that even what she went through when schools are desegregated right we talk about and i've had firsthand discussions with people who have gone through this there was so much potential violence and menace and terror that went into the folks the black folks who were the first ones to do these things the fact that the white women on her floor were banging and trying to disturb her and she said I just put on Nina Simone and I just was not even disturbed like I just want to say thank you so much to those people to the black people who went through what they went through just so that we could live our lives um, in the ways in which we do now so that's just really my last thought And for context, that woman is 78 years old. She is still very much alive. And she went through that. Mm -hmm. And to think we live in a time where we can't talk about it. 
we can't talk we can't talk about the history of that so she was able to live through it but we can't teach it to our children because we don't want people to quote unquote feel bad well because you know we don't i don't say we because this is i'm being very sarcastic very very facetious we don't (laughs) want to make certain children feel like they're the bad guys we don't want them to feel bad about themselves but God forbid the little black and brown children who have to endure every single day. Okay. Ashley, you know, it's like, what about the little black kid who in American history, the first thing you learn about yourself is that you come from, I'm going to say enslaved people because we were not slaves, right? They were teachers, architects, (laughs) you know, farmers, and they were stolen, right? And so the burden of learning that through the years, and and I'm like, I'm gonna be transparent. There was a level of shame that was associated with like knowing that you came, knowing that your ancestry was that. But then it was like, no, no. But it's not even just that. There's still all the psychological and physical dangers to us today that we have to endure <laughs> let alone talking about the history oh my goodness I'm you know what i'm saying like, i'm so sorry true. that i have to take you out of your cushy environment and reality that you have the privilege to live in every day i'm done i i, I don't want to go down this road because <laughs> i'm just gonna get upset i'm just gonna get upset but saying no. obviously we're gonna be on the same page to laura goodness gracious but well done overall for the documentary very very well done i encourage everybody to watch it and we let's get this let's get this oscar let's get this oscar but yeah i'm not gonna lie needham simone's segment was very raw she was she she was she gave that poem and she was like if there is violence needed to be had what are we going to do? Right? Nina is a raw ass individual. She, I, I read that she went up to Martin Luther King and said, I'm not a nonviolent person. Like Nina Simone was raw. Very raw. And my notes, I wanted to talk to you about this, Ashley, is I really cannot believe they really cast Zoe Saldana to play her. Like yeah. for watching this documentary and seeing her in it and seeing her be so self-possessed in all of who she is from the brownness of her skin to the, you know, every feature, like somebody said that she looked like an African queen on that stage and to cast somebody who was just remotely nothing like her is actually, it really hurt my heart looking at this documentary and knowing what has happened since. She would not have been okay with this at Absolutely all. Absolutely not. It's and insane. Zoe Saldana is one of my favorites. And I was so disappointed, disappointed. Yes. when she accepted this role, especially because there was the public feedback to say, Zoe, you're the wrong choice for this. Like, I understand, Zoe, you see yourself as black. She black. didn't for a long time, by the way. If she wants to say she is now, Okay. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, if you want to say you're, you're, you're down, you're black. Okay. But let's be clear. There are 
actresses that would have been the fit to play Nina Simone. And that was just not for Michaela you. Cole today could play Nina Simone. It, it, it was it was the wrong choice. And I know she has since come out and apologized. So I do want to let it go. And I will never watch that movie. I will never no. watch her her film. <laughs> no. I, I, I love Nina Simone. So I will never do that. But but yeah, that was that was disappointing at the time. For sure. So Listen to the feedback of the public on occasion, people. Sometimes occasion. we're right. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. So a lot of things. And uh, yes, Delora, I'm sorry. Michaela Cole would be amazing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I want to highlight Questlove did such a phenomenal job with this movie that he said that he's actually he actually has six projects lined up and he will be busy f- until 2032. His, <laughs> his next project, Ashley, is actually on Sly himself. He said that, um, so in the Rolling Stone article, it talks about how after his performance um, during the Harlem Festival, he went on to perform at Woodstock and his life changed and I guess he went through uh, he's like the most hellish two years of his life and so he's going to be highlighting that in this next documentary so I'm really looking forward to what Quest Love has to offer as you mentioned he is nominated for best documentary at the Oscars and he's also up for best music film at the Grammys this year so he's out here get collecting these accolades Ashley let's do it one more thing I want to highlight he intentionally did not put his name in the title he said he didn't want to toller parry it up <laughs> shots fired And he intentionally did not do an on-camera interview because he didn't want the film to be about him because obviously he's not only the leader of The Roots, right? And an acclaimed percussionist, but he's a music historian. Like he's known for his, you know, understanding knowledge of music, but he did want to be a part of it. What, What did you think about that? I think it just speaks to the reverence that he has for the folks who were a part of this and who came before him. And I think that's a beautiful thing. There's no ego attached to it. There's no need to be out in the spotlight on projects like this where the work is speaks for itself, where the work is what he wants the focus to be on. I thought I think that's beautiful. Well said, Ashley. Do you have final thoughts? Again, let's get this Oscar. It was phenomenal. Everybody should watch it. I agree. My final thoughts, as I stated before the spoiler alert, it was an immersive experience. Like I was in Harlem in 1969. I had my fro ready and everything. (laughs) And to see these iconic performers, I mean, these are the artists that today's artist reverence right seeing them young and vibrant and performing their hearts out is just is it is a sight to behold and i highly recommend it so thank you so much happy black history month again ashley and i believe in celebrating and highlighting black joy and love and 
celebration of our history, even though it is tough to look back at some stuff. The fact that we come from a people of such resiliency, that we speak through our music, our art, our creativity, it makes you very, very proud to be young, gifted, and Black. Mm-hmm. So if there's nothing else, time for our hidden gems. All right. So speaking of history, speaking of MLK and Malcolm X and historical figures of that era, my final hidden gem of Black History Month is a book that I started reading. It is The Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation. It is by Anna Malika Tubbs. I heard about this book during Anna's interview on Higher Learning, a podcast Laura and I referenced quite a bit, and I purchased it the next day. I was fascinated by this look into history of these three women who I honestly knew very little about um, based mm-hmm. on the information that Anna talked about during her interview. Um, I have gotten to the section where we're starting to get into Malcolm X's mother. Um, so I really encourage everybody to purchase it, to check it out. Um, I got a chance to talk to Anna a little bit via IG. She seems lovely. And I think that, you know, there's so many historical figures that we've heard about, but Black women still don't necessarily get the love that they deserve when it comes mm-hmm. to history. And I just greatly appreciate that Anna is giving me these three moms to start with, but I hope she does. And I think she mentioned doing others along the way. So this is just a first glimpse and it is available, I believe, in bookstores everywhere. So check it out. Yeah. New York best uh, seller. I have to say the tidbit that I heard from that interview that was so fascinating was the fact that Dr. King's mom was assassinated. I had no idea. You would think that would be a little bit more public knowledge. James Baldwin's mother was a writer. I didn't know that Martin Luther King's mother is the one who had Ebenezer Baptist right. Church and her family, all those things were just gem. She dropped gem after gem after gem. And I was like, yeah, I got to read this book. So yeah. I'm sure I'll have more deets to, to talk about later, but I'm, I'm still early in the game of the book and I'm just super excited to delve into this history. All right. So my hidden gem, I have one. It is another documentary and this one is starring the great Nina Simone It is the Netflix original film. What happened? Miss Simone. It came out January, 2015. It was nominated for an Oscar for best documentary as well as an Emmy. And I remember when this came out and I was just so floored to learn so much about Nina how she's a classically trained pianist and, you know, her dream of playing Carnegie Hall and, and as a young girl and all the ups and downs of her life and what ultimately informed her when it came to her music and her unique voice. It just, it was really good. And because this is our final episode for Black History Month, although we obviously highlight Black things all through the year, <laughs> but I wanted to make sure I didn't um, 
highlight the tender swindler. And so instead, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love this documentary so much. Yeah. So it, it made me sad to learn yeah. certain things, but it yeah. was also, you know, again, talking about history, talking about someone I love, Nina Simone. So absolutely. I'm feeling good, sis. All right. <laughs> if there's nothing else, Ashley, we did it. We did it. Another episode in the books, guys. Thank you so much for sticking with us. We appreciate each and every single one of you. Don't forget, you can always reach out to us, connect to us via social media. We're on Twitter, yes. we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. You can find our show on all the apps. We're also out on YouTube if you care to get your podcasting that way. So please feel free to reach out to us. We also have a, a Gmail account, recappingpodcast at gmail.com. So shoot us an email if you're interested. Um, but share this podcast with a friend. Please. Three friends. Three friends. Go ahead. You can do it. Share Just it. Send, you, y'all know y'all be having group chats. Just send it to however many group chats you're in. Okay. We appreciate the support, but thank you guys. We'll see you on Thursday for Hot Topics and Headlines. Delora, love you so much. See you then. Love you, Ashley. Bye.